We are continuing through the book of Galatians. We are in chapter 3, so we've been here for, I mean, well over a month. Um, we, we began April 1st at the service where we launched uh, weekly services here. And so if you've been tracking with us throughout this, this time, uh, you'll know that chapters 1 and 2 are really the first big section of Galatians, where Paul is saying that the gospel has authority, that the message of Christianity, it's, it's from God, it's about God. And he defended that by basically outlining his spiritual biography that then culminated at the passage we looked at last week at the, in, at the end of chapter 2, where he, he really came to what actually is the message of Christianity, what's the, the gospel, and how it's all about um, justification by faith alone, that we aren't accepted because of the good things we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us, that we are united to Christ, and all of it from beginning to end is by his grace to us. And so today, then, we're entering this new section uh, that where really Paul is honing in on what is the gospel. And he's, for the next two chapters, for chapter three and four, is going to be just unpacking different elements defending it from experience, from scripture, uh, from almost every angle that you can imagine. And, and specifically, at the beginning of, the, of our passage today, he's also kind of turning the, the gaze onto the Galatians. He's been talking a lot about himself, about the ministry of the gospel, but now he's saying, you all are, are forgetting this. And so if, if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 1. And if you are using the Pew Bible that's under your seat, it's on page 973. So listen as I read. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray that your spirit who is with us, Lord, you say where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. And that, Lord, without your spirit, we can't see anything, know anything. And so we pray that he would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, some of you probably uh, know Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Uh, they're written for children, but really great for people of, of all ages. And one of the books is called The, the Silver Chair. And so I don't want to give away everything in it, uh, but the, the basic sort of gist of the book is that there's this prince in Narnia, uh, his Prince Rillian, and he is kidnapped by this evil enchantress called the Lady of the Green Kirtle. 
And so then the, these, the three main characters, Jill, Eustace, and Puddle Glum, embark on this, this journey to find the, the lost prince and to restore him to his rightful place. And so they go through all kinds of, of trials and, and tribulations along the way. And then eventually they find themselves in this underground kingdom that's actually ruled by the evil enchantress. And they meet one of her sidekicks, who's this mysterious young man who uh, claims that he, at night, or I guess I can't remember the details, either once a day, don't quote me on that, but on regular intervals, he uh, basically goes into some sort of a, a fit. And so, and supposedly, he would need to be locked into this silver chair. And if anyone was to release him during this fit, that he would turn into a serpent and kill everyone in sight. And so the three companions there who are with him, they think that he might be the key to their journey. So they say, all right, when he's lo locked into the silver chair, we want to at least see what happens. And so you know, he's, he's, he's locked in. He goes into one of his episodes. And he begins claiming that he's being, being held captive, that he's under some kind of spell. And he, he threatens the, the three companions. But then eventually he appeals to them in the name of Aslan to let them go. And that's one of the signs through the book that, that they need to follow this. And so they release him. He destroys the chair. And of course, it turns out that he is the, the Prince Rillian who had been put under a spell, under an enchantment. So he not, was not just held captive, but he actually forgot who he was. And underground, he even forgot about the existence of the, the sun and the moon and thought that was all there is. And I think that that is actually a great image of what is happening in, to the Galatians here, where they are people who are heirs to the kingdom of heaven, that they had repented of their sin and, and trusted in Christ. Uh, it says that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before them in verse 1. Uh, and Yet, they are turning away. Look at verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So he's saying, who, who put you under some kind of a spell that you, you began so well, now you're, you're turning it away? And in a lot of ways, if the Galatians had only been just put in, in prison that would have been probably better because they could have just re rejoiced in their sufferings and ministered to those around him. But like Prince Rillian from the Silver Chair, uh, they have been uh, something, have something far worse where they actually are forgetting who they are, where they are. They're forgetting what the central message of Christianity is all about. And, and really what they're forgetting is where the blessings of the Christian life actually come from. And they were beginning to think that the blessings of the Christian life, they come through, through works of the law, through the flesh, where Paul wants to show that, no, every blessing of the Christian life comes through Christ, not through works. And so you, you heard it read, but he, he basically then lays out three arguments in these verses to, to defend this this claim that every blessing is from faith. And the, the first two arguments he bases on experience of the Galatians. That's why he's just using these rhetorical questions over and over again. And then the last argument he bases in Scripture in the, in the Old Testament. So we'll just go through uh, verse by verse. 
his arguments as they unfold. So here's the, the first argument that we see, that we receive the initial blessing of the Christian life through faith, not works. Look at verse 2. Paul says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's talking here about this initial blessing. That how did we begin our Christian walk? And really the, the blessing that he's talking about is actually God himself, that the moment we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we're united to him, we're forgiven, we're declared righteous and perfect in his sight. But then that's not the end of it. But God actually does far more that he sends the second or the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, to, to dwell in us and with us, to strengthen us. And it's one of the, the huge privileges of being in Christ and, and walking with Jesus. And he, Paul, really clearly lays this out, out elsewhere in the, in the New Testament. So in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And then in Romans 8, verse 9, he says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so that's saying really clearly, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to God. Every believer has a Spirit. And then in Romans 8, 15 to 16, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So really, again, it's clear from Scripture that every single believer has received the Spirit. And it's this, at the very beginning, that the, the Spirit isn't some kind of extra blessing that we receive later on. He's not the, the cherry on top of the, the Christian experience, but really he's at the heart and the center. And you can almost think about this as something like a, a wedding ring, that when somebody gets engaged, um, she might receive a, a ring, and the, the ring, it's beautiful. It often will have some diamonds attached to it or some, some other precious gem. And really what the, the ring is symbolizing is this, this commitment, that this is a sign, this seal, this guarantee of the faithfulness and fidelity until the day of the wedding actually comes. And, so, and it's very similar for us when we receive the, the Spirit when we first believe that he's this a wedding ring, this, this guarantee as we await this, the final day, the, what Scripture calls the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is exactly what Paul means in Ephesians 1, verse 13. Uh, and so if you actually just want to turn just a few pages over in your Bible, one book to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 13, in Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with, this, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so you can see what Paul's saying here, that, that when we hear the, the good news, when we hear the, the message of Christ and we believe it, that the Spirit comes to us, that he's this guarantee, this seal, this promise, this, this wedding ring that we have until we take possession of this final inheritance that was purchased for us by Christ. And so you know, we, we see here that 
we all have the, the Spirit if we are in Christ. And that's why Paul, if you flip back to Galatians, he's assuming that the Galatians know this from their own experience. And that's why he, he puts it in the form of a rhetorical question. I mean, it's kind of like the, the parent who says, is it right to hit your sister, right? The, the kid clearly knows that it's not right to hit the sister, uh, but what the rhetorical question does is it kind of exposes that, hey, you know this to be true. You've experienced this. And so why aren't you living out what you actually know to be true? But then Paul here in our, our verse, in verse 2, he also shows us the how of the Holy Spirit. So he's assuming if you're a believer, you've received the Holy Spirit. But then he says, how did we receive it? Look again at verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so what, really what Paul is wanting the, the Galatians to see is that they didn't receive the Spirit from good works, from works of the law, through the moral, ceremonial uh, law of the Old Testament. And I think that sometimes we are tempted to think that we have the Spirit because of something that we've done, that we think it's because we're so religious or we're so nice or we are so smart that we've figured everything out. But really, none of those things can, can bring us into a relationship with God where, where God isn't going to look at us and say, oh, wow, you know, you're so religious, so smart, so intelligent. You figured all this out that the Holy Spirit is your end-of-year bonus that you'll get for just being so exceptional in your, in your Christian walk. It's, it's not like that. But instead, Paul says that we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. He says the same thing in Romans 10, where he says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, that the way that God works faith in us is through his word. And that's why in our services here, in the, in the life of Hope Church, that studying scripture is always central, because we believe that this is where God is, is working in us and, and through us in our world, that, that we hear the good news. We, we hear that we can't save ourselves. We hear about Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We we hear that we can experience forgiveness and life in him. And then as we, as we hear that the Spirit gives us the, the gift of faith and we believe and we're united to Christ and we, we receive the, the Spirit as a, a guarantee until we take possession of it. But I think for us, though, we, we often assume that, that we know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit, but it can be hard. I mean, I was struggling with this as I was working on the passage of, all right, Paul's assuming by experience that's, that they know that they have the Holy Spirit. But how do, how do we know that we have the Spirit? How do we know that, that he is working in us and, and through us? Well, I think that, that really even if we're asking that question, we're headed in the right direction because... The Holy Spirit is a lot more like light, the experience of light. If you think about it, you don't touch light. You don't really even see light. But because of light, you can see other things, that you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light, and then suddenly you know what, what you can touch, what you can hold, where you can walk without tripping and, and falling over. And that's also the way that the, the Holy Spirit is in our life, that, that as he comes to us, 
he, he shows us things that we could never recognize without him, that he, he shows us our sin and our need for him. He shows us that the beauty and the, and the glory of Christ, that we can actually see Jesus for who he is, that we can see that, that God loves us and grow deeper in that, that love, that we can begin to understand the Bible and apply it to our lives. And these are things that without the Spirit, we would, we would never be able to, to even begin to see and to understand and to, and to apply. And so if you're thinking, I don't, don't know if I have the Spirit, then even wondering is a fact that you see that the Spirit is working in you, that that desire to have the Spirit could only be from the Spirit. And if you are beginning to see that, you know, I love Christ, I know that God loves me, then that is also a sign that the Spirit's in you, that he's, he's working through you. And even if you're here and you say, I've never desired the Spirit, I've never known the Spirit, that the way that we receive the Spirit is it's not by our works. It's not by pulling ourselves together, but it's looking to Christ, admitting that we can't save ourselves and trusting completely in him and receiving this gift that we could never earn. So that's Paul's first argument then in our text, that we didn't receive the initial blessing of the Christian life. Sorry, we did receive the initial blessing through faith, not works. But then here's the, the second argument that he also bases on the experience of the Galatians, that we receive ongoing blessings of the Christian life through faith, not works. And we see this in, in verse 3, if you look with me. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And if you look at that phrase, being perfected, uh, the moment that we, we trust in, in Christ, we are counted as perfect in God's sight, apart from anything that we've done or, or we could do. But we're not immediately perfect in all of our day-to-day -day actions. And I always wish that we were. <laughs> that would be great if, if, if the, you know, the moment we believe we just became perfect people and never had any struggles, any fears, any doubts, any sins ever again. But really, the Christian life is this paradoxical thing where you, you begin be counted perfect, but not perfect, and then struggle <laughs> by God's grace towards perfection throughout your life. And Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, had a helpful way of thinking about this. Uh, it's funny how theologians always try to use Latin to make things more clear in scripture, but sometimes it just makes things more confusing. But this is actually one time where a Latin phrase is actually helpful. Uh, so this will be your Latin for the day, is uh, simul justus et peccator. And what that means is at the same time, righteous, perfect, and a sinner. And that's what the Christian life is. It's at the same time, righteous and a sinner, that we're declared perfect, but then on this ongoing process of being made perfect. And the, that initial act, being declared righteous, that's what we looked at last week, that's called justification. And the process by which we grow uh, is called sanctification, this, this journey that we're on in the Christian life. And really the sanctification, this, this growth of being perfected, um, is a wonderful thing that we get to 
uh, enjoy as, as believers, a wonderful gift to us, that we learn what it looks like to love others more. We learn what it looks like to love God. We learn who God is. God begins to overcome patterns of sin and addiction in our lives. We, we learn about the Bible. We learn about theology. We begin to invest in a church where we can, can grow and hear the word preached to us, that we learn how to forgive others more and more. We learn about how to share our faith with other people and uh, to bring the hope that we have to others. We overcome depression. We begin to look at the Ten Commandments, not as a way to, to earn God's favor, but as this beautiful reflection of the God who, who loved us and created us. And so that, I mean, that's a picture of sanctification, that, that these things that we get to enjoy. And of course, it's not complete in this life, that is, we are on this journey of being perfected, but we won't be perfected completely and utterly until the day we die. Uh, but in that day, we appear before the Lord in, in resurrection bodies to sin no more, to have no more fear, no more guilt, no more struggle, no more tears. I mean, I mean that's the day I think that we should all look forward to and long for. And so this is what Paul is talking about here in our verse when he says that, talks about being perfected. It's God's work in our life. But then again, here we ask how. How are we sanctified? How are we being perfected throughout our Christian life? And look again at his rhetorical question. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So he's saying you're not going to be perfected by the flesh, by human effort, by human ingenuity, by human intelligence. But so, so often we think that that's going to be the key for us growing. The key to, to making ourselves better and better is going to be because we get our act together, we work harder, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And I think a, a great image of this is actually a swimmer. I, I found out this week that the longest somebody has um, ever uh, swam across a body of water is 139.8 miles. Um, and I cannot pronounce his name, but he's a, he's a Croatian swimmer who went all the way across the Adriatic Sea. And it took him 50 hours and 10 minutes. And it's, you know, think about an incredible feat of just human strength. Um, and this is often how we approach our sanctification as well, where we want to get into the the Guinness Book of World Records for spiritual achievement, where people will look and say, wow, yeah, this person did so much. They really follow God. They really are, are faithful. But then, of course, like the, the swimmer, that, that some of us can go farther than others uh, they're by our own strength. I mean, I'm a terrible swimmer. That I, I always say swimming is just kind of getting to shore and drowning prevention. Um, but then you know, somebody can swim 100 and... 39 miles. But if you think about it, if you were to, to take that person, that swimmer, and you were to, to drop him off in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, he, it, apparently it's about 12,000 miles between certain points in the Pacific Ocean. And so that, that 139 miles that he would be able to swim wouldn't get him very far. And even the, the little distance that I could swim could go some, but in the, in the course of the entire ocean, 
neither one of our abilities to, to swim would really make the difference. And yeah, we can get fairly far in our walk by our own uh, works. I mean, there are people who have fasted for weeks by the flesh. There are people who have planted and grown megachurches by the flesh. There's people who've started ministries to, to homeless shelters by the flesh, built businesses by the flesh. But those things aren't enough. That, that the, the journey that we're on, is, it's far longer. That if we try to, do, to traverse it by our own wisdom and our own strength, that we're just going to end up uh, drowning somewhere by ourselves. And really, what we have is, is so much better. That, that Christ is this powerful ship that can go through any storm. That no matter what waves hit it, will never be, be broken up. And when we trust in Christ, it's that act of getting onto the ship and saying that I know that I can't carry myself across this ocean, but yet Christ actually can do that. And the spirit then that comes to us is the one who, who directs the ship and makes sure that it ends at the right destination. And so we're, we are along for the ride to enjoy what he has done, even as we face waves. And that's why the, the Galatians are so foolish. That's why Paul says, who is bewitched you, that they're the people who got onto the ship and they're halfway across the 12,000 mile ocean. And then people on the ship start saying, well, you know, I, I think that if you just stay on the ship, you're going to get kind of fat and happy. And, and you actually could get a lot more glory for yourself if you just jump off and try to, to swim the rest of the way. And, and you can make it, just take a few lessons Here's a self-help book. Um, have, have fun. And, and we think that that sounds good at first. But actually, that is spiritual suicide. And that's exactly what we're tempted to do when we think that we'll begin by faith but then be completed by works, that we're going to begin by the Spirit and be completed by the flesh and our own energy, that it's, it's madness. It absolutely won't work. And that faith really is the principle of the entire Christian life. It's the principle at the beginning that gets us going. It's the principle that, that keeps us safe and sound throughout the journey and gets us there on the last day. And this is why Paul then summarizes this all in verse 4 and 5. Did you suffer so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain. I mean, there he's basically saying, you've gone through these storms along the way, and Christ has weathered them all as you trusted in him. But then, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So that's the, the second argument, that we receive the ongoing work of God, the ongoing blessings of God through faith, not through works. But then here's the, the final argument that Paul gives next, that we receive every blessing of the Christian life through faith, not works. Not just the beginning, not just ongoing, but every single blessing of the Christian life is from faith, not works. Look at verse 6. That he says that we faith comes by hearing, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all of the nations be blessed. 
So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So you'll remember that the first two arguments are from the experience of the Galatians of saying, you know this, here are my rhetorical questions to drive this home to you. But then here he, he turns to, to scripture. And also I think this is a great pattern for us to think about that, that yeah, our, our experience matters. What you have experienced as a Christian matters, that you should look at how, what has God done in my life and what does that say about what he will do in the future. But then we don't stop with experience, but we always bring it back to the more sure authority of God's word, which is exactly what he does. So you'll notice his argument in verse 6 that Abraham believed God, Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And you'll remember that Abraham, he's the great father, the great patriarch of the, the faith, who was raised in a pagan family in Mesopotamia and was called out of that life by God and brought to sojourn in the, in the promised land, walking by faith. And Paul here is quoting Genesis 15:6, And he's saying, how was Abraham made righteous? It wasn't through his works. It wasn't through the good things that he had done. But it was because he believed God. And his believing God was credited to him as righteousness. That he was the, the first example of that righteous yet sinner at the same time. That he is somebody who is the test case for justification by faith alone. But then Paul continues in, in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So he's saying that what makes us sons of, of Abraham, um, it is actually, it, it's God's power in us. It's his work through us. And then going forward, he says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him, to Abraham saying, in you shall all of the nations be blessed. And so here we see that the gospel, it's nothing new. That the scripture actually preached the gospel to Abraham, which is an incredible testament to the truthfulness and the reliability of scripture. That it's able ahead of time to know what's happening. And, and the stream, stream of faith goes through the entire Old Testament and culminates in Christ. And, and so when we see here that, that the nations are going to be blessed through Abraham, and we here sitting in this room are the nations that are blessed because, through Abraham, that we are the people who are, you know, we're not in the promised land, but here we are worshiping God and praising him. And if Abraham received the blessing not through works but through faith, then Paul's saying those who are going to receive the blessing of Abraham, the nations that are going to be brought in to the promise, they're not going to receive it through the flesh, through the law, but they're also going to receive it through faith, that they're going to follow in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. And that's why in verse 9, it all culminates where he said, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so really just for, for us here today, are we of faith? That's what he says. Those who are of faith are the ones who are blessed along with Abraham. Or are we of, of works of the law? Are we relying on our own strength, think, think, thinking that we can swim our way through the journey of sanctification? 
But all we do then is admit we can't do it. We receive the Spirit, this wedding ring of engagement from him till we take possession of it. And, and Christ brings us through the storms of life, through the pain, through the suffering that we face. And he does it completely by his grace and his mercy to us. And this is the reality as well that, that we see here in the, in the Lord's Supper. That this is something that God uses in our sanctification to strengthen us. That God uses us to to perfect us, um, even as we are not going to be perfect until the day that we die. And we believe that Christ, um, he's not bodily present here, but he is spiritually present with us to, to strengthen us, to, to grow us. And this is this testament of faith that as we are on the ship of Christ, that he's going to bring us safely to our destination. And so we shouldn't ever be tempted to, to get off that ship thinking that we can weather the storms outside by our own strength. 